for the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kate Scott. This is the update. On today's show... The Oakland A's began the painful process of cutting back on full-time employees during baseball's work stoppage earlier this week, a move that included, among other items we'll discuss, an email of apology from rarely heard from owner John Fisher. With help from A's podcast host Adam Copeland, we'll discuss that email, who the furloughs affect the extent of their impact, and how they compare with the rest of Major League Baseball. It's Friday, May 29th. All right, Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Let's start with the basics. The A's announced that come next week, they're going to be cutting back on full-time staff. So first of all, who are the staff that are impacted by these cuts? Well, I think the primary thing that we're looking at is that the scouting staff was the number one thing. Is They're going to be furloughed after the June 10th draft, and I think that that's going to take them all the way up to like June 16th or something like that. But Alex Coffey made it clear in her article that the scouting staff is not part of the front office staff. So it doesn't feel good or genuine that they're saying, yeah, we're going to use you through the time that we need you to pick some of these players in the draft, and then we're going to say <laughs> right. you're furloughed until sometime in October or when we get into another season. They've also said that employees with a salary of $60,000 or more will receive pay cuts, and sources are differing on the maximum percentage of the pay cuts is what it sounds like, but uh, it could be as high as 33% for some of these front office employees. And the other element of this that I think is the most devastating one, not to people like you and I, Kate, who are, are just everyday workers, but the minor league baseball players who are struggling with a living wage as it is, are looking like they may not have a season, and they've announced that they're not going to pay the $400 a week to each minor leaguer as they had previously stated. Hmm. Okay, let's get into that. Because $400 doesn't seem like a lot of money for the rich owners like uh, a John Fisher who owns the A's. And I read that in addition to not paying them that $400 stipend after May 31st, Adam, the players aren't allowed to sign with other teams. So how can the A's do that? That's a great question. And that's something I'm looking for an answer for too. Like, are they allowed to file for unemployment? They're still under the control of the Oakland A's. They're under the rights of that. And I don't know if this pushes further for the 2021 CBA to have some sort of union or some sort of bargaining agreement that includes the minor leaguers because they're not protected. If we're saying now that minor league baseball players can be owned basically by a team for seven years, and I know that it's not right maybe to say indentured servants, but that's kind of how baseball used to be before Kurt Flood and, and free agency, and that's where this tension comes from. But now you've got these players who have been given $400 a week, which we both know is not a living wage. They're not going to be able to have their jobs or their games this season. It's looking like they haven't formally announced that, but we don't know what the future holds for these players. And I also wonder from a player standpoint, if you're a guy who was on the cusp or you're a double A star and you're thinking, I'm going to be in the bigs in the next year or two. At what point do you start thinking, even when I have an opportunity to re-sign or sign a contract, that this is where I want to be? We're down and out right now, and an owner who has valued John Fisher at $2.1 billion is not willing to fork over. And I believe Jeff Passon did the numbers on it. He said about $400 a week for 200 minor leaguers comes out to about $1 million total for the rest of the year. The A's have a, a team evaluation of $1.2 billion right now. So I, it, there's a lot of questions, I think, for an owner who's one of the more wealthy owners in baseball, and he's, he's not willing to fork over this money. What's your take on that move, what you just said? The fact that, you know, if that's even ballpark where the money is, that it would cost just a little over a million bucks to pay all of these guys through what would be the minor league baseball season, and yet their billionaire owner isn't willing to pay that. 
it's a different feeling than I have about the major leaguers because with the guys at the pro level, the offer that the major league owners have made to the players association was some sort of like, it was a prorated salary. Then they're saying maybe we clip some of that and we prorate it based on what your salary is. So if you're making 35 million, we chop you down to 7.25 or something for this year. It's almost like you're in a tax bracket if you're making too much money that you've got to pay higher taxes on this payback. It's kind of how they're making it or the proposal is for the minor leaguers, it's a little different. Like Jeff Passan had put out for the big leaguers, it's kind of a Rorschach test. You either see this as a bunch of guys who are making $8 million to play a game for a few months, or you see it as guys who are getting 80% of their salary cut. I look at this as minor leaguers with no option to go elsewhere to do anything else. They're being held captive. I don't know that Major League Baseball can step in and say, you've got to pay these guys, but I don't know how how an owner can cry poor over a million dollars. And if that is actually a problem, then Major League Baseball should be doing something about that to say, you can't own a team if you can't afford to pay your players. If you were working in a, in a law firm like this, you'd have to fork over money. You couldn't opt to just not pay guys. I'm really not sure. As a union employee myself, this baffles me. I'm not really sure what the future is for the minor leaguers and how we iron this thing out. One of the interesting things to come out of the announcement was the fact that the aforementioned A's owner, John Fisher, who we rarely hear from, issued a public apology of sorts on these cuts. So kind of a two-parter for you here, Copes. What stood out to you, if anything, from his statement And what is the fact that he obviously felt the need to even say something, say to you? I think he had to say something because I think we all know in following the Oakland A's and watching what happens in the Bay Area, we all know that John Fisher is not really around, that he doesn't speak up, that he's not vocal, that he's not out there hosting events on the field like Larry Bear does for the Giants. It's Dave Cavill, which is okay. I'm okay with with an, an absentee type owner I used to work at Nordstrom in college, and they called it the reverse triangle, where the people who are at the bottom of the the triangle, which is the biggest portion, are the people that maybe make the least amount of money, but you put them out front, and you let them be the face of your business. And in turn, that can sometimes result in good business. I, in reading his comments, had a tough time getting over the thought of another owner that we used to have here in the Bay Area, and it's Chris Cohan. I don't really have a better comp than that. The former owner of the Warriors who you never really saw him at games. You didn't fork over any money to make things happen. There was a bad taste, I think, in the fans' mouths. And really, that's what I think we're looking at with an owner like Fisher is we hear players talk all the time about the business aspect of sports. And they say, I understand it's a business. It's why you get traded. It's why we have these awful negotiations and contract stuff we've got to go through. But the business aspect of the team doesn't trickle down to the fan base. When an owner buys a team, he's got like an unspoken agreement or contract with in part the city, but mostly with the fan base that I'm going to help this team win. I'm here to inject life into this team. I think about the Dodgers, right, who went through the big divorce with the McCourts years ago and they weren't spending money. And then the new ownership group comes in and while people were upset they didn't get the TV deal that put the Dodgers out in front on television everywhere, they got a billion dollars in contract revenue now with DirecTV that has allowed them to bolster their minor league system, go after big name free agents every year. So what's frustrating is is having a rich owner who has the ability to say, we want to improve this thing. We've watched the team's value grow from $180 million when he bought it in 2005 to 1.1 or 1.2 right now. And he's not held up that end of the unspoken contract with the fans. So I read his comments and I think kind of hollow. If you really felt this way about the city of Oakland and about the fan base, you could have paid the $1.2 million to the stadium authority just two weeks ago that we heard about. So any excuse that came out of that deferment as well now seems a little hollow and and doesn't hold much weight for me. 
for folks who might have missed that, the team has yet to pay its annual $1.2 million in rent to use the Coliseum. They cited a clause in their rental agreement that relieves both sides from obligation when there's a quote-unquote extraordinary event a la a global pandemic. So was wondering, Adam, what's the relation, if any, between that move and these furloughs and cuts? I don't know that there is a relation, but it doesn't look good back-to-back weeks, right? It looks, it makes it seem more like they're tied together because the, uh, the timing is so close. I also, like, when it happened, I didn't totally blame the A's. You're asking for a rental payment that obviously they'd agreed to back in 2004 with the stadium authority in this contract, but they said that they had a option to defer that payment. I guess my problem is it appeared that they waited until the last minute to defer it, and they didn't have to wait till the last minute. They would have known whether or not they were going to make that payment. And the other part of this was there was nothing that seemed like they were transparent. And I think that's maybe the issue here is they don't seem like they're being as transparent as maybe the Giants or the Tigers or the Rockies, some of these other teams that have said they were going to pay their employees and said uh, what the furlough situation was going to be, or at least gave some kind of date at which that threshold was going to end. There were some people in the A's organization who preferred not to be named in Alex Coffey's piece who said, uh, you know, they were wondering for weeks and, and the tension has been a lot heavier this month as to whether or not there was going to be some sort of furlough. So I don't know that they're related. I don't have a problem with the A's even saying, hey, we're not even using the stadium. You may need it for something else at some point for emergency services. But I felt like there should have been some sort of transparency or negotiation with the A's to say, work with us for a prorated dollar amount for the days that we may use the stadium. So while I'm not sure about the connectivity between those two, it doesn't feel like they're totally separate. How does everything that we've discussed, you mentioned some other teams briefly, how does everything we've discussed compare to to what other major league teams are doing? I think for the most part, there are teams that are facing furloughs, right? It's just, it's the nature of the beast. And and it's not just in sports, it's all over the world. And I think that's why fans are really tense about what's happening with players and owners, because we're talking big dollars and cents in a time where, you know, people with little dollars and cents are struggling. So my take on this is like the Giants announced that they were going to pay full-time workers through October. The Rockies said that they were going to do it for as long as they possibly could. The Blue Jays committed to full-time employees through October 1st. I don't know that there's anything better that the A's could have done other than maybe have this conversation not four days before people have rent due. You know what I mean? There are people at June 1st now who are going to have to pay some rent and don't know what's happening beyond the next couple of weeks with this team. It's sad because this is not why anybody becomes a fan. This is the stuff that pulls the innocence and the little boy and little girl fandom away from you, right? Like you don't know about any of this. I was a kid in 98 and I was mesmerized by the home run chase, right? Sosa and McGuire. And I remember my dad telling me in 98 or 99, you know, that home run chase saved the game of baseball. I never really got that because I didn't understand the strike in 94 and I never understood why they would just stop playing baseball. It doesn't make much sense. And now here we are facing it again when there are much more serious things happening in the world. And this seems like just such small potatoes. And yet it is weighing so heavily on so many people's jobs and not just the athletes. It's the people in the front office. That's what bothers me. Well, Copes, as always, great to chat with you. Thanks for helping bring some insight to a really difficult situation. No problem, Kate. Hope you're well and, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. To hear more of Adam's fantastic A's coverage, be sure to check out his podcast. It's called The Seam Heads. He co-hosts it with Ted Ramey, and we've linked to it in the description notes of our podcast here today. Don't forget, you can now listen to us through any of your Google devices. All you have to do is tell your assistant, play the update with Kate Scott Podcast. And if you aren't a subscriber yet to the written arm of The Athletic, now is the time to sign up. In case you're just joining us, we've currently got a free 90-day trial subscription offer going. That's right, 
three months of reading absolutely free. All you have to do is visit theathletic.com slash theupdate. That's theathletic.com slash theupdate. Sign up for the free 90 days and enjoy. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. All those things really do help keep us going here at the Athletic Podcast Network. For all of us here at The Update, thanks to my old buddy Adam Copeland for stopping by. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Kate Scott. Have a safe and healthy few days, everybody. Looking forward to talking some more baseball with you on Monday.